Welcome to episode number five. We are up to chapter number five, and this chapter goes from page 48 to 54. The chapter is called Reminding My Injured Brain How to Function. Enjoy. G'day, folks. Welcome to the Crashing Into Potential podcast. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about resilience. That is getting back up after you have been knocked down. My name is Scott B. Harris, and I'm the author of the book, Crashing Into Potential, Living With My Injured Brain. It's a memoir that I have written and published that outlines my story of resilience after a major motorbike accident that nearly took my life. This podcast is designed to take what's inside of me and bring it out so that you can feel motivated to crash into your own potential. Brace yourself because the podcast is about to start. Welcome back everyone, we're up to chapter number 5, episode number 5. Now this is a quite a small chapter today, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try and get through it as quickly as we can, we'll see how we go. First off, I just want to show you my gratitude for you taking the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say because time is the most precious resource that we can never get back. So for you to be spending your most precious resource on me, that means something to me. And I really appreciate that. So thank you all very, very, very much. Okay, we're on page 49 and we're up to chapter 5. This chapter is called Reminding My Injured Brain How to Function. And the quote that goes with this chapter, Scott was certainly determined throughout his recovery through which I had the joy of working with him to achieve his goals. That was by Genevieve Hendry, my physiotherapist. So she was my physiotherapist, my first physiotherapist that got me got me back on my feet walking again back in 2009. Once the daily hour of speech therapy was finished, I was off to the occupational therapy. OT was all about helping me reconnect with general life skills, such as following a recipe, reading a train timetable, and doing activities I liked. This was about making my injured brain aware of how it used to function and trying to recreate those pat- those thought patterns to participate in all of life's fundamental requirements for self-satisfaction. From as early as I can remember in my recovery, I knew where I was heading. My goals must have been set very early on while my brain was not playing ball with my body. I'm told that one of my one of the first things I laid I laid out on the table individually were my goals. Each therapist came to my room to discuss my direction my direction with me. They then met together after we had discussed all my goals and talked about them together. All I can re- recollect about the process was fixated on the one goal of getting back to work. My parents told me this was the ambition I would not let go of. I wanted to bounce right back into the life I was leading before the accident because that life was full of so much fun and I wanted things to go back to the way they were. This was the only mindset I adopted at the time. My rehab was tailored around this goal specifically and I wouldn't let it go one bit. I was going to return to my work as an electrician and that was that. My neuropsychologist at the time thought it would be best to think of another vocational option if this wasn't going to work work out for me. But I was having none of that. I thought that if I were to concentrate on other 
other options apart from returning to my old life, I would get distracted and might not get there. Nope, I thought, I'm going back to work. This was the goal I had set in my OT. My therapists were there to help me achieve it, but the height of the bar was up to me. Now imagine that the bar was on the scale of 1 to 10. Now, if I was to set the bar at 5, the most I would ever get is 5, or maybe 6, if I was lucky. But if I was to set the bar at 10, although I might not hit 10, I would most likely get higher than 6. Why is this? This is because when we reach the maximum, we stop. Why would we, why would we keep running past the finish line? If we set the bar at 10, we'll keep striving to get there. So I set the bar at 11. While I had my own goals in life, so did rehab. Their initial goal was all about getting me home and back into life. They, unlike me, knew that this would be a long, grueling process. All morning, I would be working on my injured brain and then it would be time for some physical exercise. So before lunch, I would have physiotherapy. The afternoon of each day consisted of another hour of physiotherapy, much the same as the first one in the morning. Be in the workshop honing in on my hammering skills or in hydrotherapy honing in on my drowning prevention skills. The first session of physiotherapy was about setting my goals. My therapist, Genevieve, asked me, where did I see myself in 1, 3, 6 and 12 months time? At first, I wanted my old life back, so I told her that I just wanted to be active again. I wanted to hop, skip, jump, run, swim and climb on the monkey monkey bars like all my mates did. In brackets, I don't think monkey bars were in the equation, but uh, whatever, that would be cool too. My one year goal was to be back running. We are now on page 50. From early on, as soon as I could communicate, Genevieve had me up and walking again. However, this was with the total physical support by two therapists, taking all all the weight that my legs could not, and one spotter to make sure that my rig didn't buckle under the pressure. So I guess I was not walking at all, rather being moved by an external force. Nonetheless, I was on my feet. In mid-January 2009, another sign of my go-get'em resilience nature became became apparent one day when Genevieve wheeled me back to my room after my session. When I got there, she parked me next to the door on the other side of the room while she got, got the bed ready for me. Just 10 minutes before I'd been up just 10 minutes before I'd been up on my feet, but I didn't realize how much support I was in fact getting. Now, keep in mind that one of the side effects of a major head injury is impulsiveness. So, if I wanted to do something, anything, my injured brain before I could I could reason with it with myself, will tell my body to get a move on or else I'll miss the train. Sitting there in my wheelchair, the thought came to me that I could do it myself. Do what you ask? Put myself to bed, of course. <laughs> you what, mate? After all, I had just proven myself in therapy that I, could, that I could walk, hadn't I? Up I got, and I was doing it by myself. And then before I took, I took a step, my brain thought, you're doing it, Scott. It's time to prove everyone that you're not as bad as they think. As I took my first step, the alarm bells went off in my head and I remembered that in my therapy session I had actually been supported by two therapists and a spotter. Oh no, it was too late. Down I went with a crash. Not only did I give my therapist a heart attack, my, my metal halo hit, hit the bed on the way down and then hit the ground. 
with a bang, which shifted the four pins on my skull, which resulted in an infection and a trip back to the Royal Melbourne Hospital. If there was any good to come out of this situation, it was that it demonstrated my determination to achieve things in life had clearly gone up tenfold after my accident. And now I had one of the worst headaches in my life to prove it. Okay, going out of the book here. So that day, I remember it was oh, it was just such a weird feeling that ran through me. And If anybody's ever felt the urge of impulsiveness, I just instantly thought, I'm going to put myself to bed. And I just got up and just without thinking about it, I just went and I did it. And I guess that shows um, it shows me and shows you how how not really with it my, my brain was at that point. After a few days, I am told that I had just the most excruciating headache. And I think I, I remember going back to the Royal Melbourne Hospital with... Uh, with my, can't remember was if it was with my parents or by a no I think it was it was it was with a um, with a one of those transport one of those patient transport vans that you see that drive around kind of looks like an ambulance it was with one of them um, and Mum was with me at the time and I went back and they had to uh, had to take it off and refix it up. Um, so yeah, it was quite uh, quite an experience for me, and quite a um, I don't know, maybe maybe it was a hassle for Mum. Who knows? Never really spoken to her about that. Maybe I'll ask her, Deb, if you're listening, let's have a chat about it. Okay, back to the book. It wasn't until two months later that my therapist finally let me try this on my own. The first steps were majestic. I looked rather like a drunk toddler and to be honest, I felt even worse, but I could see the light and that felt great. Onwards and upwards. The first step in my ongoing recovery at this point was to get my metal halo removed. Now we are on page 51. Its removal would mean that my neck was stable enough to take on the wide world, for the most part. I had an appointment with the surgeons back at the Royal Melbourne Hospital to check out how my neck was healing and to see how long I needed to keep the cage on my head. My parents and I were sitting there waiting for the results of the x-ray. We were thinking quietly that the fall I took the previous month in rehab would have set me back in my recovery. Scott, your neck is healed quite well. So we'll let the dog out of the cage. Well, that was a metaphor for let's take the metal contraption that has been take off the metal contraption that has been such a burden on your life. There were high fives all round, and I went back to rehab as a free man in a soft collar. I can still remember the feeling of my head touching the pillow that night. Just going out of the book here, I do remember. I remember how good it felt to have my head touching the pillow. Can you imagine having something wrapped around your head for two and a half months and not letting your, not letting you actually relax in in bed? So I wasn't able to even sleep on my side. All I could do was stare straight at the roof for two and a half months. So. Getting that off was uh, felt absolutely magical. Back to the book. While the halo was on, turning my head to the left or right had required my whole torso to pivot around the vertical axis. But as bad as this sounds, as in brackets, and it was dreadful, 
Uh, the worst part was actually the fact that my head couldn't touch the pillow. Oh, there you go. For two and a half months, I wasn't able to sleep in my favorite position on my side, and I wasn't able to stretch out on my stomach, laying face down. All I could do for 10 long weeks was lay staring at the roof. Well, that's basically what I just said. So the good news that we heard that day gave us all such a rush. And I had been in hospital for two and a half months. Having the halo off meant that I was now able to start home visit. Initially, I thought that was the beginning that that I was beginning to wake up from the nightmare. But this was just a bit of an illusion. Yes, I was able to go home, but only for only for the weekends and only after my OT assessed my living quarters to make sure that, that there were no hidden booby traps around the house that would kill me. Everything checked out perfectly fine on that day on, on the day of my first home visit, except that I couldn't get up to my get up to my bedroom upstairs. This meant one of two things. I had to sleep in the doghouse downstairs until I could get up up there or my bed needed to be moved downstairs. Now we're on page 52. Mum and Dad thought I'd been through enough so they chose the latter. My do- my bed got moved downstairs and the first guest to sleep on the bed was actually my dog Zoe. I'm not the sort of person that generally believes in, the th- in these things one bit but I know Zoe could feel my pain. When she visited me in the hospital that day in December she acted strangely staying really close to me. When I came home, she wouldn't leave me. She kept, she slept on my bed and formed such a strong attachment to me that she would follow me everywhere and never leave my side. Not being able to fully walk on my own at this point, I was given a bell and told that if I wanted anything, and I mean anything, all I had to do was ring the bell and someone would be there to help me. By someone, I mean mum. Thinking back on it, I should have really milked it. Anything I wanted at any time of the night was mine. My parents treated me like royalty. I I think though, if I had pushed the boundaries of this, it may have worn very thin after a while. I could have, but all I wanted was my independence back. Okay, out of the book here. Uh, Independence has always been a big thing for me since since I've had this, uh, since my accident, since I've been living with an ABI. And this is very common with people that experience or have an ABI. And I thought that I could do most things for myself. Uh, And this, I guess, was either due to uh, denial or a lack of of awareness for what my abilities were. Because I was 23 years of age and, you know, the the first 23 years of my age, I could do most things for myself. Um, well, I could do anything for myself. And then being put into a body that that can't do anything for yourself, it's 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 kind of a bit of a hard bit of a hard uh, hard pill to swallow. Even to this day, I still try to do th- I still try and do most things for myself because I refuse to look at myself as disabled. Even though maybe th- maybe now there are things that I know I can't do, but I still still refuse to look at myself as though I can't do them. Uh, one good example of this uh, is, uh, it was a couple of years ago, I built a bench and I, I really wanted to build a bench in a corner of my backyard uh, on my decking. I wanted to build this bench and I quite easily could have just called up a mate and had him come around and 
helped me do it in a couple of days. But this was something that I wanted to achieve on my own uh, without any help. So I spent a couple of months just walking around like a chicken with its head cut off, trying to build a bench that I didn't know how to build. Uh, it, but it ended up it ended up turning out quite well. Like I had an image of of how I do it in my head. Um, I just didn't exactly have the one-handed practical skills uh, to be able to do it. Um, but I will put a um, I'll put a picture up in my show notes for you to have a look at what that bench turned out like. Quite happy with the uh, with the with the end result. Okay, back to the book. Would you like a drink, Scott? No, I can do it. Would you like something to eat, Scott? No, I can do it. Would you like me to make you a coffee, Scott? No, I can do it. Would you like me to? No, Mum, I can do it. I totally understand what my mother was was going through, what everyone was going through. But I also knew what had been taken away from me. I had been stripped of my whole identity. It had been wiped off the face of this earth, and although I was there physically, I was a world away mentally. To this day, I am still forming my new identity. Being home on the weekends gave me a chance to visit the people who weren't able to make it to the hospital. My grandparents were the first on the list. The first time I saw my na- my nana and grandfather after my accident, they were just as excited as I, as I was for me to be there. Mum helped me out of the car and into the wheelchair. She pushed me down the driveway and I saw them. The smiles on my grandparents' face went from ear to ear. To see their grandson in the state I was, it broke their hearts. But at the same time, they were so grateful that I was still with them. My nana has since told me that my grandfather was reduced to tears from that visit. Tears of sorrow and joy were running down his face to create a river of happiness. We're on page 53. This was the last day I saw my grandfather as he passed away just a couple of months later. I am forever grateful I was able to see him one last time. At the funeral, it was mentioned that the day I shared with him was one of the happiest days of his life. After every weekend was done, Dad would take me back to rehab and I'd start looking forward to the next weekend. As the months went by, though, it became more and more apparent that my life was was different now. As stupid as this sounds, I started to get excited about going back to rehab. Being my new full-time job, I had made new I had made new friends. Rehab was my comfort zone. When I was out in the public, these new friends weren't with me. Spending time with mates who could all still kick the football around or still go out and party or still motorbike ride really made me feel like I was I was useless, worthless and incapable of just about anything. This was much to do with how I perceived my disabilities. Rehab, on the other hand, was full of people who were in the same boat as I was, and in a way, we understood what each other was going through, because just like me, they were all disabled. We are now up to chapter 6 on page 54. That was actually quite a small chapter. Uh, I'm just going to read the first paragraph before I head off uh, to this new chapter. I'm not going to read bother reading the chapter title, I'm just going to read you the first paragraph unedited let's see how I go one of the one of the top therapists over at Epworth Rehabilitation Center in Richmond associate professor Gavin Williams was 
Associate Professor Gavin Williams was doing research at Melbourne University on the gait patterns of people with an acquired brain injury and he invited me to participate. Funnily enough, it turns out that Gavin was my auntie and uncle's next-door neighbour in East Melbourne. It's a small world, hey? And for anyone that wants to meet Gavin, just go to East Melbourne and knock on a few doors and see if you can find him. I guarantee that you won't because that's not where he lives. Uh, It's not where my uncle lives either. So, yeah, I'm not going to tell you where my uncle lives because that would be irresponsible of me. All right. See you folk next week. So that's it for today. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button so you do not miss an episode. Better still, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. See you in the next episode.